Good morning, people in the United States. Afternoon, if you're in the UK. Evening, if you're in Asia or India, uh, some tropical part of the world. Um, thank you for joining us for the next hour. Uh, my name is Phil First, and I'm very excited. I'm joined by some of my esteemed colleagues to talk a bit about uh, our exciting New Horizons research that we've um, put together and put a lot of thought into changing how we're looking at the future, not the past. Uh, I'm presenting from a lovely hotel room, as you can see um, today. And um, but that didn't deter me from finding the time to uh, bring my friends and colleagues together to talk a bit about um, you know, how we're moving forward with with our research. So that's Saurabh Gupta, who's president of our research and advisory services, uh, works uh, with our, a lot of our enterprise clients and helps them as well as our research uh, subscription. Elena Christopher, who recently was promoted to research, uh, chief research officer, and my esteemed colleague, Tom, Dr. Tom Reiner, who uh, has proudly launched his uh, uh, native cloud uh, horizons report, our first cloud horizons report. He's done a fantastic job working on that. And, exciting the industry on his research and he'll share a bit about how he pulled this together how we gave it a horizons lens versus the old-fashioned top 10 lens that we used to give for our research um so i'll cover a little about you know why we're different at hfs what we do i think a lot of people uh seem to have their own view of hfs who we are what we do but we'll try and tell you a little bit about what we cover why we're different uh Saurabh's going to chime in with horizons and why does it matter um, why do analysts need to look forward and not in the rear view mirror? Um, Elena's going to talk uh, a little bit about our a very exciting 2023 agenda. I think we have 44 serious reports lined up and, and we're covering some very exciting emerging areas of the market in addition to traditional areas, particularly during the, today's volatile markets. And then Tom will talk us through uh, the cloud native transformation services report that he's pulled together. But we'll be taking questions from the audience as, as we go along. And uh, we'll obviously take a load at the end too. Um, but please, uh, I think you probably know how to use a Zoom webinar by now, but go into your little Q&A tab in the top of your screen and type in any questions and we'll try and get to as many as we can on the session or afterwards if we have time. Thank you. Um, so just a little bit about us at HFS, um, you know, and, and what we are, we, we see ourselves as a unique advisory analyst company, um, and we have a real focus around the demand side analysis of the Global 2000. So we research um, well over 10,000 enterprises a year on dynamics, trends, insights, perceptions, and what they're doing and what they intend to do around services, technology, solutions, and industries. Um, you know, our outlook for the future uh, is really admired uh, across technology and business services industries and the analysts that we've we've nurtured and uh, brought together over the years. Uh, many of the analysts have been around for several years now as well, uh, are very respected for their no nonsense insights, uh, really based on demand side knowledge from industry practitioners and things we've done of uh, note, um, we in introduced the term RPA, robotic process automation to industry exactly 10 years ago. Uh, in 2016, we introduced something called the Digital One Office and I've just been dusting off that uh, Digital One Office recently. And it was like, wow, six years ago, uh, we pretty much called how things were gonna happen. We just didn't think that it would take a pandemic, wars, inflation, all sorts of things to happen to drive a lot more adoption of the, of the one office mindset. And then this one ecosystem approach around how do we come together to find these sources of value across our business ecosystems. And we really are looking to provide insight into innovations impacting operations um, like automation, process intelligence. We have a very strong practice in both public and private blockchain. We're doing some terrific work around the metaverse. Uh, we're looking at things like Web3 and DeFi, many of the emerging tech that we see today. And then we have practices across key industries uh, like financial services, healthcare, energy, utilities, et cetera, manufacturing. Um, and then we look deeply at sustainability and engineering markets. So that's who we are, that's what we cover. You know, we can go back to 2007 uh, where the name HFS started. It was a blog at the time. We were covering a lot of the outsourcing markets. Outsourcing was red hot back then. And someone once said, outsourcing, mate, it's like, horses for courses. 
And so I came up with this tremendous name, Horses for Sources, uh, and I didn't quite realize I'd be explaining what that meant to an American audience uh, for the next 15 years of my life, but that's how it came about. And actually the first blog I wrote back in 2007 is still uh, talked about today because a lot of the problems that we and opportunities that we flagged then are still very much what we're dealing with. Um, we feel we built more irreverence with our, with our blog, with our ability to have um, unbridled insight and knowledge as we've evolved. We obviously have a terrific website uh, and research library that we put a lot of pain and love into. We have a fantastic editorial team as well as an analyst team, which writes a hell of a lot. Um, we, we like to see ourselves as a writer, a thinker, a thought leader in the industry. Um, and we really try and put our insights out that sometimes provoke, but are always have impact and get read by uh, many of our audience. Um, but we believe in sharing research. So, you know, if we want to share the 80-20 on what's happening in the insurance industry, we'll share that. We don't believe people think they should have to pay uh, for that type of insight. Uh, we put a lot of that research, I think we put 70% of our research in front of our firewall and leverage our very strong subscription-based social media channels to share that with industry. We want people to read our stuff. I've always taken the attitude that, um, you know, research sells, but relationships renew. And, you know, we make money through our great relationships with uh, technology firms, service firms, enterprises, practitioners, investors, and so forth as we evolve. So we, you know, we, we sell our research to everybody, but we really value the relationships with our clients to build our and scale our business. And I think that's proven over the last 12 years as we've grown to a team of 40 really strong analysts across three continents uh, and a strong team of you know, client side, marketing side people to support that. Um, we don't believe in um, sort of blades of grass models of research where one analyst just covers a little slither of the market. Uh, and that's all you're going to get. There's so much crossover and blending between coverage areas now that we uh, we keep it fairly blended. So if you do a briefing with HFS, there's a chance that three, four, five, six analysts will show up because of the different uh, flavors of coverage that each of them have across an industry, a geography or a technology, for example. Um, so we don't look to have this sort of restaurant menu of many, many microservices to boost our revenues. So if you, you know, we're going to, slice and dice what we do uh, by finer and finer details. So we're going to charge everyone more money. We charge access to the whole of HFS as one access point. And then, you know, you pay for how much of our time and uh, how much of our services you use over the course of that relationship. Um, I mentioned our size. It's a great size for an analyst firm. Uh, big enough to be dangerous. Practitioners and experts across all key areas of the market who are working in sync on so many different uh, projects that we're working on and so many different horizons areas that we'll talk about shortly. Um, we have this constant engagement with the industry. So we invest a lot of money in surveying um, the global 2000 every six months of the year. Um, on top of that, we do a lot of custom work with our clients as well. So yeah, we have a plethora of demand side insights and opinions and dynamics that look forward. You know, we really try and figure out what companies intend to do and have a strong hypothesis on where the industry is going, which is needed more than ever in today's volatile market. Um, you know, you could take this deck away and read some of this for your own um, time and volition, uh, but we're an employee-owned business. We're not owned by accountants. We're not public. We traded. We don't have investment from anyone. We've never needed to. We've grown the company completely organically. And so we're an employee-owned business, which loves what we do. We're very passionate about the industry, what we cover, and we're not beholden to uh, pressures from uh, investment banks and, and, and other entities in the market. Um, we have, because of our model where we put a lot of our research in front of the firewall, uh, we built tremendous um, uh, ability to impact and influence markets. You know, my personal LinkedIn is 53,000 people now, and it's so much fun being able to throw some research or an idea out to industry and get so much feedback from so many practitioners and people across uh, the industry globally so quickly uh, and then we get 12 million views on social media a year we have a huge amount of clients and subscribers we have a database which we religiously keep honed and compliant of over 120,000 regular readers of our research and i'll share some breakdowns of that uh, and we have many different industries across many different geographies who 
read our staff. Um, a big piece of our uh, network of our actual engaged clients, our C-level VP and above, director and above, at 74%. A lot of them are evaluated in buyers of services. Uh, we do find they're very eager to participate. So we have a lot of get-togethers, both digitally, but also physically. We had a fantastic roundtable in London just yesterday. We had a great conference in New York uh, with, a, with around 200 practitioners just a couple of months ago. And we're going to have uh, three more very exciting summits that we're staging in the UK and the US uh, next year that we've, we've just announced as well. So we have a, a, a way of engaging with our community uh, that's physical, that's uh, you know, debate-driven, uh, that, that's driven by intellect and, and driven by passion. And then the clients we have, they, they stay with us and they really enjoy working with us. And I think it's testament to the team that I've helped build with my colleagues um, that we've built such a strong influence in the market. I think we've punched way above our weight in terms of we're not the biggest research firm in the world, uh, but you can see, you know, basically there was a major study done last year um, by the uh, Analyst Observatory, uh, part of the University of Edinburgh Business School, where we actually came second in terms of influence over enterprise customers um, uh, behind Gartner, ahead of companies like Forrester and IDC, which uh, was, you know, testament to the hard work that we've done, particularly during pandemic, where we're, we're a naturally digitally driven organization. We use our digital channels extremely well, uh, and we have a lot of influence within, within industry. Um, we have, as I said, a lot of these engaged um, subscribers, of which a big chunk are from North America. We have 26% from Europe, and then the rest across Asia and other regions. In terms of uh, people who subscribe to our research, you can see 45% of enterprises, 24% uh, are big IT business service providers, 18% are technology and software providers. And then we have a number of investors and advisors who read our staff. We have a big, big following, unsurprisingly, in the banking financial services world, uh, right across the different countries and regions. Uh, manufacturing is an area, retail, CPG, energy, utilities are areas that we've done incredibly well in, in recent times. But now as I move into... Uh, my colleagues talking about horizons. I think, you know, a lot of us have maybe suffered a bit from a bit of burnout, staring at laptop screens for the last three years. Uh, it's been a it's been a tough time with the pandemic. We're now emerging from that, um, but we're now facing this multiple uh, assault on uh, everything we once knew as stable. And as we looked at our poll study across major enterprises, you can see here um, the big macro environmental factors that are plaguing decision makers and enterprises right now, cybersecurity and cyber hacks, that's driving an awful lot of focus and attention. Inflation is rearing its ugly head and causing concerns among uh, leaderships and organizations. Supply chain disruption has been rife for a long time and very much exacerbated by this conflict in Europe that we really hope is resolved very, very soon. Um, and then uh, enterprises are having to tackle things like changing consumer expectations. If you're in the healthcare industry, you're now having to service a massive new market for mental health support, which was taboo before pandemic. If you're in the if you're in the financial services space, uh, everything has gone digital. There's very little to do between offerings. Um, the cost of services has has become very challenging because so much is free to customers. Um, on top of that, this great resignation has caused a lot of issues, but seems to be now in the rearview mirror, as our research is suggesting. Um, but as I've said, it's this whole plethora of things that are making it hard for businesses to, to really think clearly about the future. And anyone says they can see what's going to happen in the next two years, they're talking utter nonsense, I'm telling you. This is uh, one of the most complex times that we've ever experienced as uh, executives to figure out, you know, what is happening to our personal and professional lives and where things are shifting based on what is happening. But I'll leave you with one piece of data, which I think drives our horizons thinking, is the internal challenges with companies to meet strategic objectives. And three things really came out. Hiring and keeping your staff. Uh, we, even in the, the session meeting yesterday with a, a number of top executives, uh, this was dominant of the conversation, is how do you bring in talent? How do you keep that talent? How do you develop that talent? Um, it's really, really hard. Uh, and if you can't keep hold of your talent, you can't keep hold of your strategic objectives as a company, 
Um, because the other big thing which everybody is talking about is how do I get better access to centralized data and governance across my organization? So these are things that are really uh, rearing their heads aggressively as we, as we look forward as companies. So as I um, think about the future, I'd like to hand off to my colleague, Saurabh Gupta, who's going to talk to us about horizons and, and why they matter. Fantastic. Thanks, uh, <clears throat> thanks Phil, for, for setting this up. I think we're facing so many challenges, as Phil was articulating. Uh, this is, uh, as we get into 2023, uh, this is the kind of volatility that we've not seen. Uh, there are supply challenges, there are demand challenges, there are operational challenges, there are talent challenges. And as we as we look through those, you know, earlier in the year, uh, at the start of the year, in fact, uh, we came up with our research vision for what enterprises have to do. I don't think in today's world you can just think of one area and and you will be able to succeed and innovate. You have to think through multiple horizons. You have to figure out what you want to do today. You have to figure out what you can do tomorrow and then day after, right? And and that's that was the genesis of of these horizon frameworks, framework that we came about. And we really wanted to call out that, you know, digital is no longer some sci-fi that's gonna happen in three or four years, right? You and I don't pick up our, our phones and say that I'm talking on a smartphone, right? It's just a phone now. So why do we have to use this adjective of digital in front of everything? Digital is essential uh, for survival today. You know, digital is not some futuristic thing. And that's why we wanted to call out digital as horizon one for enterprise transformation. It's something that you need to do today. So then the question became, what's what's next, right? What's beyond digital? And that's where the one office really, really starts to play into picture because the digital narrative has been focused a lot about technology. But if you remember our favorite people process technology Venn diagram that we studied in high school, you'll remember that those three circles were equal. Right. And what has happened with the digital narrative is that the technology bubble has become very big and we've forgotten a little bit about the people and process. Right. And then you add data and culture and change management. That's what one office transformation needs to be about. It's about how do you bring in end to end organizational alignment using all the value creation levers across talent, uh, process, uh, technology, data, change, um, you know, just not focus on technology. Technology has to be the enabler. And, and we feel very strongly that organizations who will thrive tomorrow um, will have to pull all these value creation levers. But even the one office can't be sufficient, right? Because one office is looking at your organizations internally, you know, what within the four walls of the organization. I think to find new sources of value, to find growth in today's complicated world where there are a number of macroeconomic challenges as well as internal challenges, you have to look outside. You have to be in this sharing economy, in this collaboration world where you have to find, you know, build a network, uh, you know, and that network could include competitors. Um, but, you know, blur the industry lines, find new sources of value, and that's where new sources of value are going to come from. And this was really the horizons framework that we came up with early in 2021, uh, early in earlier in 2022. And this became the genesis for uh, for the horizons reports that we that we launched later this year. But as you can also see, you know, while 60% of the organizations today are focused on horizon one, and there are only about 10% who are focused on horizon three. I think that's going to change, uh, you know, and the, our data with uh, with the 600 odd global 2000 enterprises starts to suggest that that there has there will be a significant increase in enterprise priorities, which looks at a one office kind of a holistic transformation, as well as, uh, you know, an ecosystem transformation where industry lines will start to blur. And, you know, whether you're a service provider, whether you're an enterprise, whether you're an investor, you will need to start looking at these three horizons to really uh, create impact and and drive innovation in the in the future. So that became the genesis for our horizons report. And and you know as we as we looked at evaluating service providers and technology providers, 
uh, we felt that the top tens weren't doing justice to our research vision. And that's why we 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 started to think about changing this. And you know, really these horizons are are really value horizons, right? What is the kind of value that service providers can provide to to clients? Uh, you know, outcomes, savings, uh, functional digital transformation is now horizon one. Uh, you know, I think uh, that any credible service provider should be able to provide today. What's different is on top of that, can you drive significant experiential value, right? Whether it's your ex whether it's your employees or your customers or even your partners. And that starts to differentiate uh, Horizon 2 service providers with Horizon 1. And then, and then the, the final leadership board will be Horizon 3, wherein you are able to find completely new sources of value, where you're not a service provider that's only driving cost savings and, and business outcomes, but enabling client growth uh, through, through new sources of value. And that will require an ecosystem play. So really outcomes is horizon one, experience is horizon two, and new sources of value through synergies is, is horizon three. And this is, this is the new framework that we're gonna use to assess service providers going forward. Uh, Tom is gonna talk about you know, how he looked at uh, cloud native transformation service providers uh, to come up with these horizons. And Alina is gonna talk about you know, all the wonderful research that we've planned uh, for, for 2023. Um, but one of the questions that we've kept getting is, why phase out the top 10, right? They were immensely successful. They were getting C-level, you know, both C-level uh, uh, traction, both from enterprises as well as service providers. So why phase them out? And, and I think there are six reasons why we did that. Number one, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, the best time to retire a product is when it's successful, not when it's already on the downward hill. And we want to be forward looking, you know, that's the reputation and the brand that HFS has. While the rest of the industry keeps looking at the rear view mirror, we want to keep looking ahead. And we, we are not afraid to challenge ourselves, disrupt ourselves as need be. And, you know, it felt like after four or five years of top tens, it felt like the right time to, to change it up. Uh, the second question was, you know, how do we align our research to these horizons for, for enterprise innovation uh, that has resonated very well uh, with the enterprises? Uh, how do we align our research uh, to, to that enterprise innovation framework? And, and that was the reason why we changed into uh, this horizons framework as well. The third reason then became, so how do you evaluate? Uh, you know, which service provider falls into which horizon. And I think the answer there is very simple. If, if we can credibly answer the question of why, what, how, and so what, where, why is the value proposition? Are you driving a value proposition to drive business outcomes? Are you driving a value proposition that drives experience? Or are you driving a value proposition that's trying to find completely new sources of value through co-creation? That's a significant uh, and uh, answer the next the next dimension will be what uh, which is essentially the capabilities uh, what kind of people capabilities do you have what kind of technology capabilities do you have what kind of data capabilities do you have what kind of change management capabilities do you have that that becomes important in the assessment the how is really the go to market strategy what kind of partnerships are you structuring? What kind of investments uh, in terms of acquisitions that you're making? Um, what kind of models do you have to, to find innovative ways of commercial structures, right? Pricing models. Um, and how are you co-creating with your partners and your, uh, and your uh, enterprise clients to, to really bring that value proposition to life? And then the so what is the impact, right? So what is it? How is it driving not just the wallet share, but the mind share? I, we truly believe that you know, service providers who are successful will need to capture the hearts and minds of enterprise clients, not just their wallets. Uh, and I think the wallet share will come if you start to capture the hearts and the minds uh, of, of, of your clients. I also then felt that how do we assess this, right? What will be the sources of data? And for some of you who've been following our top 10 research, we've always laid a lot of emphasis on customer feedback, the voice of the customer, and that will continue to be the 
continue to be uh, a part of the Horizons framework. But I, I feel there are more stakeholders than the customers. What about your partners? Um, what about your employees, right? Uh, we, we saw Phil talking about how big of a internal challenge is retaining and, uh, and hiring top talent. And, and so as a result, uh, these Horizon reports will be a complete 360 degree feedback on service providers, not just from customers, but also from their partners, also from their employees, as well as the analyst perspective. So it becomes a much more holistic, uh, uh, holistic approach. And then we wanted to make it agile. Uh, you know, to be candid, some of our top 10s were taking six months or longer. And I honestly, you know, in six months in today's world, the market changes. Uh, you know, when you start to collect the data and when you report it, the market has changed already. So how do you make this holistic as well as agile? And one of the things that we've decided to do is to is to do away with the RFI song and dance, uh, uh, and largely because uh, you know every analyst relations team is buried with more and more complicated 500-page RFIs, uh, and then you know our analysts are not doing anything while the RFI process is 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 going on, and so the real value is in conversations. And so we are doubling down on briefings and conversations with service providers, their clients, their partners, their employees, versus do this you know, RFI uh, stuff, which is frankly not adding much value and just taking a lot of time. So I think that's one of the big changes in our methodology that we are probably the only analyst firm who's moving away from this, uh, from this RFI quagmire. And then lastly, you know, top tens focus on the top tens, right? And and we wanted to be more inclusive. I think there are more than ten service providers in practically every service offering and every market that we track. Um, and um, you know, we want to bring in some of the more credible players who might not have the size and scale of the top ten players, but still bring a, a significant amount of value to their clients. And I think. This landscape approach will allow us to be much more inclusive uh, in our research process. So these are the these are the big six reasons why we moved away from a top ten and and introducing these horizons. Um, I'd like to turn it over to Alina now, right? And Alina, tell us about you know what what do we have in store? Absolutely. Let me share my screen here. Okay, so you've heard from. Phil um, talking about HFS and setting some global market context. Sarbs just articulated um, what's the reasoning behind um, the, the untimely death of our top tens and now the value-based focus on our horizons. Um, I'm going to transition to talk about um, what the heck we're going to be covering now and through 2023. So what are we covering and why? And I want to start with the why. Uh, we're a research firm. Um, at the end of the day, um, when we think about what our purpose is, we're trying to provide really fabulous decisioning tools to enterprises. Uh, so what's always driving what we're researching, and again, that why, is what's going on in the enterprise community. Uh, so obviously, we do a lot of research. Uh, what I have up on my screen here is our latest Pulse survey. Phil mentioned it in some of his comments. I believe, Sarab, you perhaps did as well. We, as HFS, we sponsor typically at least two surveys. And when I say we sponsor, we mean HFS, not in partnership with any of our clients or alliances and such. HFS sponsors on our dime research. So we get very concise and specific views of the marketplace. This is some data from our latest Pulse survey. 602 executives, a mix between IT and business leaders across the global 2000 enterprises, literally across the planet. Um, and so one of the things that we were looking at is uh, what are really the the priorities of enterprises today? And so what you see here is, and it's, it's tagged as importance to the, the leadership agenda today. Uh, you see three things right up top there, security, privacy, and regulatory compliance, that's top of the stack, a gigantic priority. 
Uh, number two, accelerating digital modernization. That's that horizon one that Sarb was just talking about. And thirdly, and increasingly, environmental sustainability and governance, ESG initiatives. We see it's now risen to the top three. I also always like to take the time to point to what's at the bottom of the list, things that were deemed as not as much of critical priorities. We see reducing staff attrition and also related to talent, training and development of staff. These, please consider these as the priorities. But then what we also like to do is to look to, okay, if those are the leadership priorities today, what actions are being taken? And something interesting starts to happen. I'll clue you guys in. If you look at some of the color coding, that light shading on some of these options, as we go over to look at the so-called actions, i.e. the top initiatives underway to meet these strategic priorities, um, we see the mix really, really changes. The things that rose to the top are around improving automation, leveraging new emerging tech, and trying to respond to, to changes in customer behavior. I'll bring up this ugly spaghetti in the middle. The spaghetti shows how the things that may have rated as the top priorities, like security, privacy, and regulatory compliance, when you get to the reality of what's being invested in, they actually rated a very different place in terms of enterprise priorities. So in a manner of speaking, what we're trying to do and what ultimately drives the HFS research agenda, and I'll get into that detail in just a moment, is trying to make sense of because essentially what I'm showing you right here is we got a big old gap going on here, which is showing what we think the priorities are and what people are actually spending their time and investment on. Uh, we really, back to that point about what at the end of the day are we ultimately trying to do, we're trying to provide really crisp and insightful decisioning tools to help enterprises make the best choices to find their way through enterprise one, um, be ready to embrace um, horizon two, uh, and, and ultimately be ready and marching towards Horizon 3. So let's talk about what we've got in store for, for our research agenda for 2023. These are our overall buckets of coverage. I'm going to do a little bit of what I call paint by numbers with you today, because we have lots of colors and we have numbers. I'll use this slide to talk about our seven big categories of coverage, and then I'll round this out by showing you exactly what topics we're going to be looking at. Uh, so I'll make quick work of this slide. Uh, up top, number one in our paint by numbers approach, um, we look at enterprise innovation. These are the overarching uh, needs, wants, direction um, of travel of enterprises powered by that one office and one ecosystem that Phil and Sara both talked us through. Uh, we'll always have research that, that's, that's anchored in these fundamental concepts. Uh, two, second big bucket, of coverage is enabling technologies. We have a laundry list that is always updated and curated, uh, looking at what the most meaningful enabling tech levers are um, and what you can do with them because innovation for the sake of innovation means nothing. It's all about applied technology. Um, onto bucket three, reimagine business operations. This is essentially business process outsourcing and management. And we cover a variety of different business functions in there. Um, that's bucket three. Bucket four, enterprise modernization. This is essentially IT services, looking at how um, IT is leading the change and, and ultimately the modernization of enterprises today. Bucket five is industries because the rubber hits the road at the industry level. I'm biased as our financial services lead, um, but industry is where you know, as I, I like to say, you basically get to look at all of these other elements through the industry lens to determine how each sector is embracing, using, or sometimes not so much what's really going on at the industry level. All of these five, five areas are underpinned by that HFS pulse data that I mentioned. Again, those the surveys and studies that HFS does at least uh, several times a year to really understand that we truly, I'll use the play on words, we truly have our finger on the pulse of the marketplace. And that last but not least, uh, our seven, number seven uh, is uh, our disruptors feature. We have a segment that we call our HFS hot vendors. This is where the entire HFS analyst team uh, is really always canvassing the marketplace to find the most interesting emerging tech and services uh, companies out there that are up and coming, that are scale-ups, 
um, interesting. Like in my world, I spend a lot of time looking at up and coming interesting fintechs across a range of different topics to really figure out who are the partners of the future, who are the potential M&A targets of the future, uh, and who's really trying to disrupt the status quo. Those are the HFS seven big buckets of coverage uh, for now and into 2023. And let me give you a quick view of the uh, high impact horizon studies that we have planned for you. Phil mentioned the magic number earlier, which is 44. Our analyst team uh, is putting together just an amazing roster of coverage. Uh, and Sarab made an important point, which is we're also trying to do these in an incred incredibly rapid pace so that the information that we we both take in, we understand, we analyze, and we put back out into the market as those decisioning tools I mentioned. We're trying to do this in the space of about four months or so, not six months, not nine months, not 12 months when it's completely useless. So here's what we have in store for you. All right, again, the paint by numbers, enterprise innovation. We'll be doing studies coming out in Q2 of next year, looking overall at enterprise innovation, uh, as well as a study on global business services, advisory and delivery services. There's some interesting trends with advi where advisory and delivery are coming together. Next up, enabling technologies. We're about to release an automation services study in Q4. Going into 2023, we're going to do uh, a deep dive into process intelligence products. That's process mining, process discovery. We're initiating coverage on metaverse services. Phil himself, as well as David Cushman, are working on this as we speak to help really demystify what the heck the metaverse is and what it's all about. Uh, we're going to do a low-code services study, really getting beyond the buzzwords to what the meaning and the value are. That's Q1. Q2, we're gonna do not just blockchain services, we're chopping this up to give you the most relevant coverage. We'll look overall at enterprise blockchain services, but we'll also get more specific about public blockchain services because there's loads of interesting trends happening in the Ethereum and beyond space. Uh, we're gonna go deep on IDP, intelligent document processing, because the entire world still has a massive document pro uh, problem. We're gonna go detailed on who can help with that. And then lastly, rounding out um, enabling tech for 2023, we're gonna look at Web3 enablement services. We push that to the end of next year because we wanna make sure there's actually something to talk about. So we're keeping an eye on this. Uh, we'll go deep on data and decisions capabilities. That was one of the elements that Phil highlighted um, as just a challenge for so many. Uh, we'll give some good coverage to that to, to see how the service provider community is continuing their support of uh, data and decisioning needs. Uh, and then because automation has always been very essential to the coverage that HFS tracks, uh, we'll do an update on process automation services. Uh, then we'll go into reimagine business operations. This is our BPO landscape. We have a handful of reports that will be coming to you this quarter. FP&A and sourcing and procurement just went into editing, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll soon have a digital marketing and sales report coming out. Q1, supply chain, obviously one of the hottest topics and need areas throughout the pandemic. We'll be looking at supply chain services in Q1. Q2 will bring you an update on the, the very critical finance and accounting capabilities. Uh, we'll also launch a new study looking at payroll and employee experience data services. Um, that one's Phil with one of our uh, new analysts, Mike Finn, that we look forward to introducing you to. Q3, we're going deep on sourcing and procurement services, uh, employee experience transformation, as well as on customer experience services. And then we'll round out Q4 of 2023, going deep on Josh Matthews, uh, as well as partnering up with Mike Finn on sustainability services. All right, number four, look at me getting whimsical with my builds. Enterprise modernization, IT services. I'm going to stop talking in a moment and let Tom Reuner go deep on the just published cloud native transformation horizon uh, that's just been published. Uh, we're gonna complement that with a data modernization services horizon coming out later this quarter. Into next year, we'll have digital engineering services. Uh, Nandini Tare uh, and Mayank Madur and uh, Nikhil Baskar are going deep on that right now. Uh, we'll have ServiceNow um, coming out in Q1 as well. Into Q2, uh, we're gonna be looking at Salesforce, uh, really their ecosystem, but Salesforce services. 
Um, we'll do something similar on another just massively impactful um, enterprise suite, SAP S4 HANA. Into Q3, we're gonna be looking at applications modernization. We're trying to, to get very granular in our cloud coverage, looking at data, looking at apps, looking at transformation. So we'll go deep on apps modernization. Uh, we'll continue our coverage of cybersecurity services. We're also gonna take a long, hard look at quality assurance capabilities, because that's still just absolutely fundamental and at the core of pretty much all IT services. We'll round out Q4 with a uh, focus on workday services, again, an ecosystem approach there. And last but not least, um, we'll look at industry cloud. There are very interesting things happening at the industry level. That's sort of the next frontier of, honestly, many of the things that we talk about in a horizontal context. As I said before, the, the rubber hits the road at industry. And last but not least, speaking of industries, we are imminently, I think, if not today, then tomorrow, we're publishing our, our healthcare services horizon. Uh, we'll follow that up at the start of next year with retail banking services, uh, where me, Divya, and Needy are deep in cycle with that, with many of you today. Um, travel, hospitality, and logistics services, that will also be a Q1 2023. Uh, into Q2, we're going to be looking at uh, a new area of coverage. Uh, Rohan Kulkarni and Mayank Mandur are going to be looking at employee benefits services uh, and tying that to self-insured employers. Uh, we'll also touch on energy utilities and energy transition services. Um, we will, pardon me, we will then also initiate some coverage on services for digital businesses. What we mean by this is how are all of those platform-based companies, take your pick of your favorite platform-based business, whether you're thinking of Apple, whether you're thinking of Netflix, whether you're thinking of Uber, what are their needs and how are these um, cross-industry jumpers being supported? We'll go deep on that in Q2. Uh, Q3, cards and payment services, getting some good granularity within financial services. Uh, we're going to break up retail and CPG to look specifically at what's going on in the retail sector. Uh, in manufacturing, we're going to take a nice deep dive look at intelligent operations services. This is really the next wave of Industry 4.0. And then last but not least, we'll round out our industry coverage in Q4 with a study again, some great granularity, wealth and asset management services, uh, and then life sciences services, uh, continuing some of the great research that's been done there um, off the back of a, a couple of years where we had a global pandemic and reached new heights of really, I, I think, Horizon 3 ecosystem collaboration to rapidly develop vaccines. Um, this is published on our website. Um, we look forward to those of you that may be on representing the service provider and vendor community and analyst relations. We look forward to collaborating with you on many of these. For the enterprises that are on, we look forward to providing you with the absolute best decisioning tools. All right, that's what we've got going. Tom, I would love to hand over to you to talk us through uh, a real live horizon in the wild. Much appreciated. Let's go to the next slide, please. Great, thank you. And I think the way Phil has introduced us uh, or uh, laid out the introduction, so we at HFS, you know, we tend to look with a, a, quite a broad lens at the market. So not the, we don't look through a lens of narrow subscription service and the topic at hand, so cloud native transformation, bit of a mouthful. It's probably some of quite a compelling point for that. But in equal measure, the study and some of what we just uh, have published is also compelling examples as to why we have moved to the uh, or launched the Horizon uh, methodology. And Saurabh has explained quite well, in my view, the key aspect is forward-looking. Uh, with that in mind, some of we should look the real mirror. And in this case, it's not just about counting hyperscaler revenues or cloud certification. Rather, the exam question, and with that also the scope of the study, is much more how service providers are helping clients to, to either achieve operating model and or business model transformation. And just I'm trying to almost emphasize that because with that, the study is not yet another cloud migration or application modernization study. And the scope, then it's important to keep that in mind because we are flush with all those studies, not least on cloud migration. But again, I'm calling it out from the beginning, it's a different scope here and that's so important. Having said all that, so let's set a scene with one of the key findings of the studies. And I was quite 
surprised to learn going through all the research, just despite all the market noise, market noise, you know, it feels like it's so noisy. Everybody in this dog is talking about Kubernetes and almost probably more implicit and explicit. It feels everything is going reasonably swimmingly because the investments in cloud are, are so steep. But actually the, the reality seems to be that the majority of cloud native transformations are failing. And failing means more than anything else that organizations struggle to capture value from the often quite steep investments. And the reasons for that are manifold, but probably the key issue is that technology objectives are not aligned with business objectives. But without a clear articulation or definition of those business objectives, many more transitions uh, will fail. And this for me also points to a much broader point. There seems to be a fundamental disconnect in the way the industry is discussing all these issues around cloud. And I think I was, uh, I was pointing and hinting to it. The supply side is evangelizing around technology capabilities. The man as his dog is talking containerization Kubernetes. But that's literally missing the point because you know, what is cloud native transformation really meant to achieve? What are the goals? What are those outcomes? We are back to the points why are organizations struggling to capture value from, from their view. And the key point here is, again, some of cloud native in our view is much more, yes, on one hand, a set of architectural and cultural principles, but more than capable technologies is actually more about people and processes. And again, the way the supply side is engaging around the topic appears to suggest something different. Um, with that, again, almost just one, two to highlight because all those studies are so important which are the key criteria we're not applying to that without transparency and methodology, then it's not quite clear how we could come out to a conclusion. And the key points in this study were a couple of, of aspects. The first big block for me is you know, how our service provider helping client to envision the transformation outcomes. Because you know, if I'm honest, without envisioning new models, cloud will largely remain horizontal and probably more and more infrastructure centric than anything else, but not as might be attuned to transformation. And the critical element of this whole and complex exercise of envisioning is the definition of a cloud target operating model. Yet what we're seeing in the market all too often that organizations are somewhat on the one hand investing in all this wonderful innovation, but actually trying to retrofit that into the very traditional operating model. And with that, not surprisingly, is what there are we seeing organization being set up to, uh, for failure. The other key aspect is you know, how are service provider helping to drive change? And again, as Amsumat was saying, being cloud native is much more about culture than about capabilities. Just think about scale DevOps and all that change you know, is necessary to drive that civilization. And the other point coming back to the way almost both Phil and uh, Sarah were talking about our, our horizon uh, methodology, so it's all new ways of collaboration. And the last key aspect is about the assurance of the transformation outcome, not least if you take my point that many of the transformation actually failing, many organizations craving some form of business assurance for that transformation. Just to be clear, of course, there is no certainty in life, there's no certainty in a transformation. But again, given some of the norms, so many organizations struggle, some of you have to come up with new ideas what that business assurance could be. And the way perhaps I'm naive about it and have spent too much time working with the quality assurance community, and Elena was alluding to it coming up the story, that's not one of the next studies in next year. But there's a big opportunity for the quality assurance community to finally emancipate itself. And they were talking for many years about more than positioning business assurance. While there's an opportunity, if I'm honest, I'm not fully holding my breath that we actually will finally see it happening. With that, I hope this gives you a little bit of a sense of scope of the study, but also then I sort of get it out for the broader discussion straight away, give you some of the key findings of the study. And the next slide is meant to double click on some of what, what I highlighted, what are the some of transformation outcomes? And another key learning for me was going through the whole study, there's no end state for cloud native transformation. Rather, it's one way of looking at it, it's, it's, it's a change or a world of permanent change. And organizations don't have anything, don't know, it's not just a pace of change, but almost they have to you know, be constantly you know, finding ways of adapt to the most these frantic uh, change, uh, pace of change. 
at the same time, don't know, while, and again, it's such a complex topic, some of organizations not need some kind of North Star, a more clear goal, some of if they're uh, collaborating with the service provider, what they're working towards, don't know, what are the business objects that then meant to be achieved. And at times we had also in many conversations, don't know, there was a sense of being quite condescending, saying, oh, operational teams don't really care or don't fully understand those business objectives. But again, unless we change that kind of mindset and really helping organizations to figure out those business objectives, more importantly, align technology with business objectives, we will see more transformations miserably fail. And we're going full circle on the on the key arguments that some of, as I mentioned, some of cloud native transformation literally has to be anchored in business objectives. And it was it's quite a stupendous. Obviously, when we were talking to the service providers, and our one sentence or time and time again was, "Hey, you have to meet our clients where they are on their cloud journey." And on face value, just if you don't think it fully, we might think, "Hey, that's quite customer centric." However, if you come back to my point, not as I mentioned, many or some of uh, transformations are failing. And again, here's the point, some of now, if you know, the providers already know there's misalignment or not even articulation of those business objectives, meaning they're now already that many of these transformation will be failing, it's, it's quite a cop-out actually. So without addressing this misalignment, many more of those transformation will fail. And so I think it's again, that's where some of come in here. You can say you know, pragmatically or opportunistically, and often, of course, a lot of the providers are looking at these multi-million some of technology transformation deals. One with big cloud consumption. Again, we are back to the point there's so much consumption around cloud. And you know, conversely, some of we have asked the question: what's the average TCV for those cloud native transformation? And it's a single-digit million. So it's much more consultative, but it's so important if you don't figure out the alignments with this business objective. If you don't think it's not the right guard rate for us, you see much more failure um, happening uh, with all this transformation. What you can see here on the slides, what we call these six vectors of cloud native transformation. And what it's really meant to be is not just some fancy app work, but helping at least our clients with all those discussion on those business objectives. Of course, we don't have much time to go into all great detail. But the one point to call out here is the fundamental, and again, we're back to much more cultural shift to what I would describe as product-centric mindset. And this is a fundamental change for organization for the way they're operating. The days of a clearly defined project life cycle was a clear starting and end point. They are some of more and more over. So it's, it's really shifting towards these much more fluid states with continuous goals, autonomous teams of a product-centric mindset. And again, back to my main point, exactly that. Some of cloud native means or should mean working fundamentally different. It's not just about accessing information from anywhere. And the next slide is trying to pick up on the theme, is trying to look at, some of, as the title suggests, some of how should operations you know, change in order to support cloud native transformation. And you know, achieving all the way on the left-hand side, data-driven outcomes, it's at the heart of the HFS one, uh, one of this concept. And, you have heard us harping about this for, for many years. And for some, it might be counterintuitive, but becoming cloud native also mandates to finally bringing IT and business together. And with that, you have even more reasons to avoid a language or marketing that's engineering led and full of jargon because the decision maker, especially the more organization progress towards uh, cloud native, they're the more context for making these decisions ever more driven by business. Again, it's probably counterintuitive uh, given that many IT um, cloud native is much more smart being, being seen in the context of IT transformation. But again, we have to be as mindful of this much broader uh, change. And we have already spoken about product mindset, but the point here is also that in order to, to, to progress, not only on a broad transformation journey, but also to embrace that product mindset, Organization need an end-to-end -end visibility of their processes, and it's so important. But the underlying telemetry data, so you might argue, hey, it's quite boring, but actually so important. But often that uh, telemetry data is somewhat tied to very specific domains. There's so much more, more work to be done. We need so much more new thought leadership, of what it really means to know, bring it up end-to-end. -end. And here, the wondrous word of observability is coming into play, 
we will see us now getting deep, uh, deeper into that topics and many others that are aligned with that, of course, also the emerging notions of AI ops or stay tuned sort of over next coming month. But also again, the key point here is so we have to acknowledge it's a new operational complexity. But again, another angle to look at it is more than a machine first mindset because of here, what I mean by that is, of course, we have to make progress with automation and AI because human interaction has to be the exception but can't be the rule. Again, given that complexity, but also this velocity with which we have to deliver smart services and deliver products. So again, smart, uh, the, the human interaction has to be uh, the exception to the rule. But it's also here where the SIE endeavored culture cuts in. Cuts in. But then, then if you can go back to my point, it's much more bringing IT and business together. It's about how do you blend, uh, blend the funky culture of SAE and DevOps with the often stale traditions of business operations? So again, the, the change aspect, it's, it's, it's quite, quite, quite daunting for many and organization, quite frankly, is more than putting here just a point on, on PowerPoint. It's so central to the transformation journey. Great. And having said all that, how can or how can we help organizations to finally capture value from their investments? And how can we have much more constructive discussion on cloud native uh, transformation? And this infographic we can see on this slide is trying to do exactly that. So we're trying to help our clients to, to get their head around. And again, there's such a complex topic, quite frankly, I get more gray hair as I have been through, through, the, through the, the whole process. Of course, you know, I won't go on all the details, but the key things, and again, what, what you also take away from, from, from this infographics, it's a it's crucial point here is to align the technology objectives, business, business objectives. You know, we will only make progress if we literally better understand operating model change. And here the emerging concepts of data ops or fin ops are becoming top of mind. At the same time, we have to focus much more on talent and cultural change, not capabilities. And again, you heard us all before. It's literally, it's a brave new world to, to quote Aldous Huxley, the brave new world of autonomous team and continuous learning, or put it another way, you need engineers and consultants. Again, don't just not overact, lean on the engineering side of the things. But what it really boils down to, we need new thought leadership that tackles both these fundamental change, but also Again, some of addresses and fires ways of conceptualizing at times simplifying some of that complexity, or at least makes that complexity much more accessible, some of to the way some of them are we see it at the moment. And here you can see the provider placement. And as has Sorab has explained, we literally don't focus on the ranking anymore. But some of literally what we're trying to do, some of not help the guy uh, buy start. Some of to to to, to, to see some of the forward-looking moment uh, of that. So, but as we don't see the ranking anymore, just for the avoidance of doubt, the, the, this placement in groups that within those you know, three bands of horizon, it doesn't equate to some of it's the proverbial an analyst finger in the air. Some of we just put everything in behind those rankings. We still some of have a broad set of criteria, we still smart them or do a lot of calculation and ranking. So again, it's just to, to almost um, put your mind at ease. It's not just almost uh, literally much more top level, it's, it's the opposite. What is changing is the way we disseminate all this information. If you look at some of them, what we learned and seen from the provider side, the providers you see in the, the middle and the tops, uh, the bottom sides so on horizon two and three, they're very close together, actually. And at times, it's difficult to tease out the nuanced differences. And hence, if anything, the almost these new horizon model, I think that, no, that's exactly also where it comes out stronger because at times the differences are, can be quite news. But having said that, the provider you see on the top in the horizon suite, they really stand out. And they stand out because they're effectively blending technology and business transformation. And exactly here, it's not where the, the weak gets separated from the chart. Because you know, many organizations, as I mentioned before, probably opportunistically just focus on technology transformation. Again, that's where the big dollar signs are, but that's not necessarily the essence of cloud native uh, transformation. And the, the leading group, what they have done as well, provide a compelling thought leadership that helps clients to articulate that North Star that they need for, for their transformation. 
And the last point, I think, Tamak, you heard it also the way Saurabh was introducing the, 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 the whole sort process behind the uh, RISE model. We're seeing some of early ways of co-creation with clients, but also we see some of the emerge, as more an ecosystem mindset uh, cutting in, or at least emerging, that is. So let me just close also a couple of, but of having been reasonably generic, played back about broader observations on the market. Just give you a couple of pointers on the leading providers. If you look on the top tier, the horizon, some of Accenture is definitely the top of the tree with really compelling sort leadership. And if you want to see what best in class sort leadership, read up on the automation continuum. It's a good example for many of the issues of writing as well. What is a North Star? What are the business objectives that don't talk capabilities? So again, it's a good way to, to learn and lead from that. But they're equally standing out by putting operating model transformation at the cornerstone for capturing the value. And that is literally, again, where the small the beat gets separated from the chart. And now that's where small organizations struggle the biggest or the most. IBM equally stands out for different reasons. On one hand, probably some of the deepest MA activities, so many some of the pick up deep engineering capabilities, but also good examples for industry-centric transformation. And in particular, in highly regulated markets, another way of looking at that is even more complexity than not just cloud native transformation is complex enough in highly regulated markets is even more complex. And Deloitte is top of mind, especially for clients who are struggling with the business case, but also for designing the cloud target operating model. Again, broadly speaking, the big four that's what's their strongest point looking at on the more business-centric challenges of that transformation journey. But delayed, uh, Deloitte is definitely top of mind there. Infosys, probably they're excited more about data-centric topics, um, a lot of innovation. And last, the HCL or HCL tech, uh, tech, as I prefer to be called these days, they have a strong focus on innovation, especially around you know, observability and FinOps. And that's what's the leading group. And just to close out, it's not just what those providers, and I've also two points for further discussion, but also food for thought from, from the remaining providers. EY's internal cloud native transformation is seen by many in this industry, the close we got to the North Star that is now cloud native meant to be. Again, and many aspects are called on the previous slide here come to bear, but again, they have done it internally. What they have done, they have to externalize it. And of course, that's the next step. But also kudos to a smaller provider like UST, who has done an amazing job capturing the complexity of cloud native transformation in a highly accessible way. And it shows what can be done when you have marketing folks uh, really excel, again, even if you're smart, a smaller organization. That was a probably whirlwind tour to enormously complex topics. And now we would be happy to do those things. First and foremost, we would love to hear a question observation. But equally, we'd be, would love to follow up with you on all those topics and industry uh, issues raised. So this should be just the beginning of the conversation. So we'd love to have that with you. Phil, back to you as a master of ceremony. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I think we've um, slightly gone over time here and we've been getting a ton of questions as we've gone through this, um, many of which we've been trying to answer. Um, we've had a lot of questions around 5G. Um, and edge tech, that is something that we are looking to embed very much in our coverage as we move forward. So that is something that is very much on our minds as we look out to next year. Um, a few questions about the RFI process is the great news is we are ending the RFI process as it is. I think we've, we've talked about the fact that these reports can take six, nine, 12 months. The, the previous series of common analyst reports. We are not issuing RFIs anymore. Uh, we believe that people are asking too much uh, for too little information, and we can get much of it through the briefing process, through some straight Q&A. Uh, we also want to invite um, more instant message and chat with, our, with providers and vendors as we go through the process, um, so we can get to the information we want much faster. And, and we're also using our own um, pre-invested surveys and our own reference calls. Um, so we don't have to keep relying on providers to pony these up and extend deadlines. So we're really trying to fast forward. But I think the big headline is um, the RFI is over. 
we hope other analyst firms follow suit as well because we we know how much they uh, drive people crazy in terms of the amount of information they, they require. Um, so those are really the main some of the main things. We're, we're going to attempt to answer more. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff coming in, um, you know, and I, I would say drop us an email, particularly to research at hfsresearch.com. If you have any more questions on this, um, we'd be delighted to, to get to them as soon as we can. But I wanted to thank Elena Sorob, Tom Reiner, um, uh, and Mark Reed Edwards, our CMO, for helping put on today's show. I hope this was a value to everybody, and and uh, we'll send everybody who registered a copy of the deck and, and an email if you want to ask any more questions on what we're doing moving forward. So, so thank you very much for your time.